Hello, Frank. My dad kidnapped me once. A holiday is what this will be. You and me, son. On 12th of October, 2004, my dad popped out to buy a bottle of milk and never came back. Frank Burton, that's my name as well, I'm Frank Jr. Of course, your investigation. I know about your secret flat. I have an irrational fear of traffic wardens. Stop sticking your nose into matters that don't concern you. I was Frank Burton's wife and Frank Burton's mother. That was everything I am. Maybe it's like kosher or halal? Kosher or halal bacon, that's a new one. Everything I am. You and me, son. Everything I am. Everything I Am is the brand new novel by the author and podcaster Frank Burton, available as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook, which is currently available for Name Your Price. Find all the details at frankburton.co.uk. rag bag my name's frank burton lots of stuff happening on this week's show i'm bursting with ideas and i just have to share them with you i don't have to i'd like to i'm being nice we've also got a superb musical guest julia sophie can't wait for that either let's get into this Yeah, so we'll be hearing from Julia Sophie in the second half of the show, previously of the bands Little Fish and Candy Says. She recently released her first solo EP, which is really great. Here's one of the things she's going to be saying to me. As soon as, you know, venues open, I don't know what's going to happen. I will be out there. I love playing live and I can't wait. I love communicating with people live i love being in a room with people i love traveling i love exploring so yeah i am so ready to play live and i just thought i would do the live stream thing finally because i just thought i have to get used to this new world if it's going to be like this i'm just gonna have to accept it and and go for it and stop being a wuss so it turns out i said something controversial last week You may recall a young man named Trevor got in touch asking me to check out his new band, which he has decided to name The Rolling Stones. I suggested that this was not a good idea, given that, you know, there already is a band called that. Their name is The Rolling Stones. Numerous listeners have been in touch to tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) Of course, of course I'm wrong. How foolish of me. Enlighten me, listeners. Dirk, for example has this to say, you're an idiot, Frank. Thanks, Dirk. Dirk continues, I seriously think Trevor is onto something with this Rolling Stones thing. First of all, there's the clickbait factor, i.e. a bunch of people are going to click on the band's page assuming it's the other Rolling Stones. They could get themselves a decent-sized following just from that. Eventually, they'll get big enough to come to the attention of the other Rolling Stones. Stop calling them the other Rolling Stones, Dirk. Call them the Rolling Stones. Sorry to interrupt. I will hear you out before I comment further. 
Dirk continues, Inevitably, the other Rolling Stones... <sighs> Stop it, Dirk. Inevitably, the other Rolling Stones will take legal action. And we all know what that means. More publicity. Oh, I see your point, actually, Dirk. Yeah, unconventional marketing tactic for sure, but um, I'm still not willing to listen to Trevor's band as a principal. Once they've changed their name, you know, after the court case, I'll be more than happy to check them out. Now, I know I keep telling you guys to stop sending me jokes, and I do mean it, but someone sent in a truly excellent one, real first-rate stuff. I have to read this out. It's a very short joke, very simple. That's what I like about it, I think. Shout out to Marlon. Marlon says, Frank, i got a joke for you. Whoop, whoop, it's the sound of the police. My mistake, it's a fire engine. Oh, <laughs> uh, thanks, Marlon. That really has made my day. I mean, it's a little bit childish, but <laughs> who cares? It's a good, it's a good joke. Uh, listen, let's have a tune, and then I can tell you all about my new ideas. Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of.
Right, got some ideas for you. See what you think of these. Here's the first one. You know when they have like crossover episodes on TV shows? Like Fred Flintstone turning up on the Jetsons and stuff. Bit of fun, right? Little crossover episode where they're running out of ideas. Well, I've got an idea for a whole series of crossover episodes. And to make it interesting, I'm using shows that wouldn't usually go together. It's all very well Kramer turning up one week on Mad About You. Sitcom character visits another sitcom. How about this? How about a crossover between Tom and Jerry and the news? Like the presenters linking through to a report about a bombing in Syria. While there's a 2D animated cat and mouse whacking each other over the head with large planks of wood in the background. How about a crossover between The Phil Silver Show and MTV Cribs? How about an episode of The Sopranos, but it's done in the style of the Adam West Batman? i got loads of these, but also I've got a lot of other ideas, so let's move on. Check this one out. How about a part-time ABBA tribute band who work in a delicatessen during the daytime? And just for fun, they've renamed all the songs to give them, like, a deli theme. Like, Volivon instead of Voulez-Vous. You know, Dancing Quiche. Gimme, gimme, gimme some ham after midnight. How about this? A Where's Wally book, but Wally literally isn't there. It'll be called, seriously, where the hell is Wally? Listen, I know you Americans call him Waldo, okay? That's just the North American edition, okay? Don't see why you can't handle the name Wally. What's your beef? He's called Wally in the Spanish and Catalan editions. He's Willy in Afrikaans, that's cool. That's nearly the same. The Germans call him Walter. That's very formal of you Germans. Do you do that with everyone who shortens their name? Hey, Bill Murray, your name's William when you visit Berlin, right? How about this? Another Where's Wally book, but it's called Who's Wally? And instead of finding him in a crowd, you get to know him. What's he like as a person? What are his hopes and aspirations? What does Wally dream about? Then there's a follow-up called How's Wally? Like, how's Wally doing? I'm a bit worried about him after some of the revelations in the last book about his troubled childhood. Here's another idea. The International Idiom Exchange. I'm thinking of you American listeners again, in particular. I just want to bring our countries closer together. Not geographically, that wouldn't be practical. You adopt one of our phrases, we take one of yours. You can start saying mince pies as rhyming slang for eyes. Minces. I can't believe my minces. That's how you would say it. When you go to the opticians or the optometrist, whatever you call them, you can say, I'm going to get my minces checked. You'll get used to it. And in exchange for that, we'll take way to go. Congratulations, my good man. Way to go. That was a good way to go. Do you have a long way to go? Where are you going? Sounds totally wrong, but we'll have to get used to it. That's the nature of the international idiom exchange. Puts you outside your comfort zone. Now, this is a good one. A city where every single building is an exact replica of St. Paul's Cathedral. The whole lot. Schools, Hospitals, shops, houses. Nice house you got here. Plenty of room. Man, 
It's like St. Paul's Cathedral in here. Now that's a good idea, but I think this next one is going to make me my millions, unless someone's done it already, which they may have. I mean, it's right there staring you in the face. You know those optical illusions where it's a series of staircases all linked together, but somehow it looks like you could just keep on climbing the stairs and then just loop round back on yourself? Well, that, but in real life. Someone must have done that, surely. You could build one of those things without defying the laws of physics, right? I mean, if you can draw one, you can build it too. Otherwise, what are architects for? What do they do all day? If they can't even design a set of steps that loops round on itself, answer me that. Also, that optical illusion where you can't tell if it's two faces or a vase, that, but in real life. Just get two people to press their faces together, with a vase in the middle, and away you go. How about this one, right? A part-time ABBA tribute band who work in a fishmonger's during the daytime. And just for fun, they've renamed all the songs to give them, like, a seafood theme. Like, does your mother know that you're trout? You know, thank you for the mussels. I have a bream. It's free of charge, this podcast, you know. Can you believe that? You're getting all of these ideas sent from my mouth to your head for nothing, nothing at all. You're probably thinking, how can I repay you for all this, Frank? Well... My books are available to buy. Just saying, if you fancy supporting my lifestyle in some way, I do need a bit of money so I can have time to sit around thinking about all these amazing ideas. Like this one is going to blow your mind. You know that scene from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where Charlie hasn't won the golden ticket yet and he's bought a chocolate bar with what little money he has and it's just a regular chocolate bar. And he says to his granddad. You know, the thought of all those golden tickets makes the chocolate taste terrible. I really like that line. I think it's one of the best lines in the history of literature. It says so much about the nature of marketing and the con trick of capitalism itself and perfectly reflects the experience of the poverty-stricken consumer still desperate for the system that has broken him to somehow turn it all around. The thought of all those golden tickets makes the chocolate taste terrible. The irony, of course, being that Wonka's chocolate bars are supposedly the best in the world. But this is now the taste of disappointment. Right, now my idea is the opposite of that, the total opposite. Terrible tasting chocolate with tickets inside to make the chocolate taste wonderful. Bear with me. These tickets... We won't call them golden tickets, we'll call them brown tickets. There'll be millions of these chocolate bars produced with only six brown tickets available. And because of the nature of these tickets, every time you purchase one, you tick a box accepting the terms and conditions. And the terms and conditions state that if you win a brown ticket, you are legally bound to accept your prize of six months unpaid work in a chocolate factory. Not Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, an actual chocolate factory. And if you still think that sounds like fun, you've obviously never done a 12-hour shift on a production line in an actual chocolate factory. And let me tell you, there's no umpalumpers, no everlasting gobstoppers, no world of pure imagination, just dull, repetitive, mind-numbing work. And it stinks. 
You'd think there'd at least be a nice aroma in there. There isn't. That's the cold, hard reality you're signing up to if you buy one of my chocolate bars. But imagine buying one, ticking the box, accepting the terms and conditions, then you open it up and there's no brown ticket. And you close your eyes and you sink your teeth into the bar and with half your mouth full you turn to your granddad and you say, You know, the thought of all those brown tickets makes the chocolate taste wonderful. That's actually the name of the chocolate bar itself. I'll have a The Thought of All Those Brown Tickets Makes the Chocolate Taste Wonderful, please. That'll be 75 pence. You just need to sign the terms and conditions. Thank you. And it does work. That's the power of psychology. You've avoided the booby prize and therefore the chocolate tastes wonderful. The beauty of this scheme is that I can manufacture it with the cheapest, most nasty ingredients known to man. A bunch of chemicals possibly resembling chocolate and sell it for the price of a regular chocolate bar. And you know what? I can keep on selling them and people will come back for more, ever willing to risk six months of their lives being snatched from them because victory is the sweetest taste of all. And you know what else? I can carry this on and on and on because... And keep this to yourselves, listeners, yeah? There are no brown tickets. Ha 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 You know, I was talking earlier about crossover episodes for TV shows. I don't think we should limit ourselves to just TV. I think that would be a little short-sighted of us. How about the world of literature? You could publish, like, a subtly altered version of Catcher in the Rye. It's exactly the same as the original, except just randomly in one of the chapters, Nicholas Nickleby turns up. And he says, All right, Holden, how are you doing? And Holden's like, What are you doing here? And Nicholas Nickleby's like, Oh, I was just in the area. thought I'd come over, see how your journey's going. And Holden's like, Oh, journey, is it, Nicholas? Journey. You're a phony is what you are. And you're from a different book. Get back to your own book. And Nicholas is like, oh, chill out, man. It's a thing we're doing now. Frank Burton from the Ragbag Podcast, it was his idea. Oh, Frank Burton from the Ragbag Podcast is a phony. Shut your mouth, and so on. Loads of possibilities there, aren't there? Sam I Am from Green Eggs and Ham. He could turn up in train spotting. Could you, would you, on a train? Endless possibilities. How about this? A part-time ABBA tribute band who work in a bakery. You get the idea. Bakery-based ABBA songs. The winner bakes it all when all's bread and done. You know, Fernando. Nando, you know, Nando. The dough for a naan. You get it? Forget it. It's all gone a bit Pete Tong. That's another one for you Americans. You know the International Idiom Exchange. You can adopt the expression, it's all gone a bit Pete Tong, meaning it's all gone wrong. And we can have, um, I don't know, rain check. Look, I know it's a stereotype, but from my own experience of living in this country throughout my lifetime, I can confidently state that British people spend something like 99% of their time talking about the weather. So any expression that mentions weather, even if it isn't a weather-specific thing, We'll snap that right up. It gives us the opportunity to talk about the weather again. Can you make that dinner on Thursday? I'll have to take a rain check. Oh, talking of rain, 
Have you seen the forecast for this week? Where do we begin with that? My next business idea, you know, if the chocolate thing doesn't work out for some reason, is greetings cards that reflect the subtle complexities of human relationships. Yeah. Why buy a card saying happy birthday to a wonderful brother and great friend when you can get one that says, I'm only buying this as a token gesture because you'll make some snide remark if I don't get one for you. I know we agreed to stop doing presents a few years ago, which is fine with me, but in all honesty, I don't see why we need to bother doing cards either. Waste of paper when all said and done. Happy birthday, bro. Or a Valentine's card that says, I always feel rather ambivalent buying one of these. It's nice to make a romantic gesture, but then I wonder, surely a handwritten poem would have been more meaningful than this. Also, I wonder if we're just buying into the commercialisation of what's essentially a saint's day, when neither of us are religious, and certainly don't attach much importance to the greetings card industry in general. Anyway, love you. I'll make a mint doing that, right? Or someone will. You can have that if you want. How about a city where every single building is actually just a phone box? Schools, hospitals, universities, fire stations. Don't worry about a shortage of hospital beds. There are no beds. You have to stand up and lean against the wall or hang from the ceiling like a bat. It's what we call minimalism. Moving there would be a good way of getting rid of all your unnecessary possessions. Nowhere to keep them. You could get a storage locker, but that's just a phone box as well. What do you think of my new house? Bit pokey, if I'm honest. Not enough room to swing a cat. You can have that one, Americans, for the idiom exchange and that I don't need one of yours this time. Keep hold of your atta boys and atta girls. It won't catch on. Not enough room to swing a cat. Unless you're saying it already, maybe we got it off you. You can have it anyway. I don't like it. I don't like what it's implying. Now, you know how I was talking about crossover episodes for TV shows and crossover chapters in books? I don't think we should stop there. I think that would be short-sighted. I think we should put the whole of culture in a big bag, shake it all up, give it a good swing around the room. You see, I'm opposed to swinging cats around, but the whole of culture in a bag, that's cool. Maybe change the expression to that. How do you like my new house? bit pokey, not enough room to swing the whole of culture in a bag. So once you've shaken up the bag of culture and swung it around the room, you can empty it all out and everything's mixed up together. High culture, low culture, popular culture, unpopular culture, mainstream, underground, counterculture, the lot. And now next time you look at Da Vinci's Last Supper, the faces of the Twelve Apostles have been replaced with a diverse range of characters, Daffy Duck, Professor Richard Dawkins, the singer Alison Limerick, Angela Lansbury, Grandmaster Flash, an artist's impression of Sappho, the guy who played the dad in the Wonder Years, Queen Elizabeth I, a sketch of an owl taken from an ancient cave painting, a Mesopotamian woodcut, Sylvia Plath, and Bert Reynolds. And Aristotle has his own Instagram account now, which he's operating from the 4th century BC. And he keeps posting memes about philosophy and horribly graphic pictures of the animals he's been dissecting. Meanwhile, Munch's The Scream has come to life 
and he's starring in a children's cartoon where he's wandering around being continually shocked by everything he sees. His catchphrase is, Ooh, I wasn't expecting that. Neither were we, Mr Scream, but I guess this is what happens when you put all of culture in a bag and shake it up and let it all come flooding out. And, oh look, there's Travis Bickle, you know, De Niro's character in Taxi Driver. He's a real person now, and he's appearing as a guest panellist on the news quiz. And he's doing that thing where he tells a joke with a really straight face, and then he says, there's a joke. That goes down really well. So now he's a regular fixture on the panel show circuit. Eventually he ends up appearing as a panellist on Question Time. That's a serious political debate show we have here in the UK, right? And it's all going really well for him. He's speaking his mind. He's doing his whole, it's a joke, shtick. And then the education secretary says something Travis doesn't really agree with. And instead of keeping his composure, as he's now become famous for, he pulls out a machine gun and shoots up the whole place. And it's not just that. It's not just Travis Bickle appearing on the news quiz or Aristotle having an Instagram account. I mean, the whole of culture has been shaken up in a bag and just let out into the street. And you're walking down the street. You yourself are walking down the street and... Oh, look, it's Mr. Soft from the Soft Mints advert. Mr. Soft! And, oh, look, isn't that the Mona Lisa? But it's not in the Louvre anymore, and it's not even in a picture frame. Someone's stuck it on a fridge with a couple of magnetic alphabet characters, and the fridge is sitting in a junkyard. And Bez from the Happy Mondays, he's working there, alongside Francis Bacon and Anton Chekhov and Maya Angelou and Jiminy Cricket, and Betty Boo, and about Reynolds. Everything is just all over the place. How do you like that? You know what? I actually do quite like it. I think we could all benefit somehow from all of culture being stuck in a bag and shaken up and then let out into the community. I do think that would benefit people in general. I'm not sure how exactly, but then again, I'm not sure how we're going to achieve it in the first place. So if anyone out there does have any concrete ideas about how these things could be achieved, not just the whole of culture in a bag thing, I'd be happy with a coherent business plan for the chocolate bars. At the moment, I'm getting a little bit too bogged down with research into the concept of reverse psychology. The more I look into the concept of reverse psychology, the more I disagree with it, which, in a way just goes to prove how powerful reverse psychology is, right? Think about that.
time now for this week's guest, Julia Sophie, previously of the bands Little Fish and Candy Says. She's got a brand new EP out, which I'll play something from in a minute. This was a fun conversation. Also, Julia was very frank and honest about her experiences, the downside to success, the problems that can arise when you've achieved the dream of being signed to a major label. So we talked about that. We talked about how her music has changed and developed over the years. She's got some great stories. Let's have a tune from the new EP first. This one is called XOX. i 
started music quite late, I guess. I actually didn't start playing the guitar until I was like 16, 17. So I was I was kind of really late to the game. I used to sneak into the music lessons at school. I wasn't officially part of kind of the class because I had no theory, but I just really enjoyed it. And the teacher would let me sit in. And then one day he kind of stopped me at the door and said, look, you're going to have to participate now. Kind of join in with the homework or the exercises. And so I, that week, it just so happened that you had to like write a song using sevenths sevenths and I had no idea really what sevenths were and at kind of at the same time a friend of mine was um teaching himself the guitar and he bought a chord book and he was just like being really proactive and I was kind of like oh how's he doing that that's that's interesting and so I guess I copied him I got a book and I literally learned all the sevenths called A7, E7, D7. And I wrote my first song, which was a homework, I guess. And, and then I, I sang it in class and um, I guess it, it went down really well. And from there, I kind of, I, I guess I started writing songs as a, a kind of form of, I don't know, self-expression and, uh, and, uh, and took it from there really. So I started, I started not, not too early. But, you know, yeah, started about 16. Yeah, so what did I do? So back then I was kind of like, right, how can I do this? And I don't know why, I just had some weird nerve in me that was like, I'm going to go busking. I don't really know any songs. I would kind of go in on weekends into town in Oxford and I would sit in a, it wasn't busking like with a microphone and all that stuff that you see these days. It was literally in an alleyway with good acoustics. And I would sit there for two or three hours you know, until my fingers got really sore and I would kind of practice songs I'd been writing and, and play them. And I was probably really bad, but that's okay. And but the great thing is that I discovered is that I could make some money and that I could practice and make money at the same time and watch people and kind of experience a bit of independence. And kind of through that, I, I met this girl who came up to me and she said, um, do you want to be in my band? And I said, yeah, of course I want to be in your band. I didn't know this girl. I followed her. We took a bus to Abingdon and literally like we formed a band. It was like four girls. It's kind of a bit of a long story. And then within like we had, I don't know, we had this rehearsal and then my, I told my dad and then my dad was like told somebody he knew that his daughter was in a band and then like I don't know within like the space of maybe four weeks 
the guy had been like, oh yeah, does your daughter's band want to uh, support us? We've got a gig. And then we, my dad was like, maybe, yeah. And somehow we accepted this gig. And then within like six months, um, well, no, so that, at that gig, it was four, this was quite um, a random story, but there was like the Sony plant that was not kind of far from the venue back then. And we got offered this development deal from Sony off the back of that gig literally having done like I don't know three rehearsals and you know it was just it was just a ridiculous situation so um, that was your that was your first gig yeah that was my first gig and I was probably you know I was 16 17 and it was really exciting and then and then the big question you know do you go to university or do you take this offer and they were going to de- develop us and I really wanted to do it but two of the girls in the band didn't want to do it and that was that so we didn't take the deal and we all went off to university and I didn't do any, I just kind of carried on by myself for a few years and, and kind of got a degree in, in psychology and sports science randomly. But um, yeah, so I didn't actually, again, I've just, I'm, I'm just a real late developer. I didn't, I then kind of after my degree, instead of, you know, I guess I didn't really know how to get a job and I didn't have much confidence. I was doing a lot of busking and I, I went to London and did what people do. I lived in London and I started a band and yeah. And then I did eventually, I mean, I worked really hard. I mean, for like two, three years, we were gigging up and down the country, maybe five nights a week. It was kind of proper, like just naively, if, if we play enough shows, A&R is going to spot us. Someone's going to spot us. We're going to get signed. It's going to be magical. And I guess we, yeah, that was a band called Little Fish. It was just me and a drummer. So it was pretty rock and it was the two of us. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I guess word got around and the next thing I knew Linda Perry was cancelling a holiday in Hawaii and coming to see us play in a little shitty pub in Oxford and uh, we got kind of signed through Island Records um, out in the US and I went to record a record out in America. It was... Oh, it was, I thought it was going to be the most magical experience of my life. My parents were constantly like, you need to get a job. You know, I was kind of, you know, the van and signing on. And so like, I thought kind of, I could prove to my parents that I could be a musician. And, and then we got, you know, I did get some money. It was amazing. Um, but, you know, it was just like, in some ways, I lived an amazing year and a half, two years where I toured with, 
at Blondie. Um, I played shows with Courtney Love out in Terminal 5 New York. I was in the New York Times. Um, you know, I played Shepherd's Bush Empire at Brixton Academy. You know, I've played with Juliette Lewis. You know, I've done, I've done big rock stuff. I was in it. You know, Alison Chains at, um, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, in London. Uh, yeah, I, but in some ways it, it was so kind of glamorous on the outside, but on the inside it was just like, it was, it was just the most kind of, um, what's the word? I'm trying to find the word. Uh, like it scarred me. It was like the most treacherous experience of my life. Like the insides, the workings of it, the whole dealing with the industry just killed me. You know, on the outside it was glamorous and on the inside it was just killing me. It was eating me up and it was the most horrible experience of my life. <laughs> like, and after that, we got the most horrendous review in NME at the time. Um, I think we got zero out of 10 for the album. Oh, really? It was devastating because, you know, one, I'd worked so hard, but the reviewer, it was kind of, you know, back when, I, I guess if you're unlucky, you're unlucky, you know. Um, they thought that I was a manufactured, you know, Linda Perry had worked with kind of pink and all that. They thought that I was one of Linda Perry's manufacturers artists so and they also the reviewer absolutely hated Linda Perry so we got like just and, and I think we're supporting Courtney Love and the reviewer also hated Courtney Love so I had I had not a chance I not you know not a chance <laughs> now um so that 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 kind of totally messed everything up as in literally from that review I think my manager had said to the drummer don't let Jules read the review and the phone stopped ringing from one day to the next. Literally, everything was cancelled. You know, you worked, I'd worked so hard. Cannot, cannot tell you. And the phone stopped ringing. And then Linda wanted me to go over to America to do a second album. And I, I said no. And uh, she kindly let me out of the record deal. So that was, that was great of her. And I was so burnt out by it all that I, I kind of... Um, I don't know, I spent a year probably playing in pubs a bit and like harmonica. Like I didn't want anything to do with the big game. I just wanted to do everything as DIY and keep everything as local as I could. I kind of, I was really burnt, burnt by that, all of that experience. It could have been great. You know, it, it was, you know, you had to rely on radio pluggers. You had to rely on press people. You know, we didn't, we, we weren't lucky. They weren't maybe playing so much rock at the time on the radio. It was pre-savages, you know, it was pre, you know, that girl thing. So I kind of missed the boat and I didn't have any control. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Oh, it, it just occurred to me like, um, cause it, it's not that long ago, but it seems like, um, you know, there was a time when, uh, and things have changed a lot now, I guess, but when kind of the NME were really powerful. And if you get a bad review in the NME, um, it can kind of, you know, make or break you. Whereas now the NME doesn't really yeah. exist. Yeah, it, it, it did. Like, it was amazing. You know, the phone just went dead. And it was, you know, really interesting to, organize, uh, to, to live through. And also friends stopped calling. You know, you, you find out who your friends are. You know, you find out who wants to talk to you because you're playing with Brian Molko or like, you know, it's just like, okay, whoa. You know, it was a big slap in the face. And yeah, it took me a bit of time to recover. You know, as a young artist, you just, you know, I, I just think if you get put on that, the top of the pile, you're 
you're lucky if you're at the bottom of the pile and you're signed to a big label you you know you can't move you know you, you they will they choose when they release your album you have to wait a year I, that's another thing they waited about a year before we released our record which we, we'd lost all the momentum we i made the mistake maybe of going to america probably should have signed in england i, I experienced some glamour you know i got to hang out with paddy smith and i got bought a lot of clothes and given lots of instruments you know i i kind of there was a yin and a yang i can't say that i didn't um you know i experienced things that people want to experience in the industry but it was came at a cost you know i don't mean to put a downer on things (laughs) (laughs) no no it's 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 good to hear this because it's it's good to hear kind of an honest account from the inside you know, um, you don't uh, you don't necessarily a, a lot of people see it as being the uh, the big dream of being signed to a major label and everything like that. And that, that's kind of the thing to aim for. But it just kind of goes to show that it's not necessarily the thing that you should be striving for. Yeah, I also think I, you know, I, I you know, there's also the element of like, you know, I think Pablo Honey got a bad review of Radiohead in the NME when it first came out and it's like well they got up and they got on their feet you know great I don't who knows but they there's also something to be said for me not managing to get straight back up on my feet and keep going I was like some people can you know and that's also admirable and part of of um you know what artists need to do I just I just couldn't <laughs> I was too broken but so so you know I, I I have my um I guess I have my demons like I some I, I could have got up and carried on you know I didn't I just walked away yeah well I, I suppose it ultimately comes down to the question of is it worth it I, I kind of ask myself that question quite a lot with things that I do because I mean I, I'm not involved in music I write books you know what I mean so it's a, it's a different sort of uh, ball game really but right, if right. I'm if I'm kind of working on a project that's not really working out for me I just kind of I keep on asking myself that question just that, is it worth it what I'm doing here Okay. I'm, spend, I'm spending all these hours doing this and it's not, it's, it's not working out for me. That's interesting. Yeah. Question to ask yourself, I think, is yeah. it, even, even just uh, repainting the living room, you know, <laughs> just something like that. I think it's, that's worth it. <laughs> I think it's worth it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in the sense, sorry, I'm not going to go into the living room and the power of colours on your mental health or mind and, you know, fresh and ideas and all that stuff. I'm sure like something's to be said that it could be worth it, but I don't know how long it's going to take you, what you could be doing in that time. Anyway. But um, yes, there you go. That, there's my, uh, a little bit of philosophy for you. So I guess there was an in-between period where I formed Candy Says, which was kind of like the opposite 
it was just like it had to be the antidote to rock had to be everything that well, had to have harmonies had to have like loads of instruments had to have you know pop song it had to not be too serious not too personal I couldn't I couldn't handle anything that was like too honest you know so I guess in that sense I bounced back and formed a like DIY chic pop collective um you know I didn't want it to be a band I, I it had to be like people could just come in and out whenever they wanted to so like I did I did that for a few years and that was great it got it got um me um a film score which I co-scored with with some other people and I you know so 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 I did do something in the middle where I was kind of dabbling more on electronic music so then now where I am that kind of led me to I guess where I am now which is my first ever solo project it's called Julia Sophie which is my actual real passport name I wanted to go back to I think I guess I was ready to like be me again but if anything more me than ever like something that was totally me and honest and I didn't want to be have a band to I don't know I didn't want to be democratic about who I was or who I am I also you know I write a lot and I found that the band is great and uh it was just too slow for me I wanted to record faster I wanted to record all more songs that more songs you know and some songs just aren't band songs I guess so yeah that's when I started kind of working on my own music so from what you're saying is it is it the, the kind of the actual songwriting that's gone into there is that kind of uh, quite a bit more personal than what you were doing before that is that right yeah, I think it's kind of eclipsed <laughs> personal or personal because I guess when I was in the rock band, I was kind of a character in the sense I was, you know, I was younger, I was more angry, but I was still finding out who I was and I was playing with language and I was kind of reading a lot of beatnik books and I wanted to be Patti Smith. And, you know, there was just like, I guess, uh, that youth edge. And I, I also kind of fell into it. I guess people started to pigeonhole me as rock and so I kind of was like oh okay I'm rock now okay you know so I kind of became that whereas this this is kind of like okay I'm gonna take a step back um I I took a year to you know record Julia Sophie my EP I I didn't kind of dive straight into anything thinking I was necessarily even going to release it to be honest I just was like I want to go into the studio and I don't want anybody to know me. I don't want anybody to know my past. I don't want anybody to prejudge me. I just want to kind of find out who I am by myself. And I found, I I kind of done a few jobs for this guy in Brighton who had loads and loads and loads of analog gear and was like, we just got on really well. Um, I'd written some, stuff for his projects that he does and I guess I was going to record a dance song with him originally um and then I just kind of took this song that I'd written to the studio and it worked really well so well that we were like I, I just said can I bring you more of my my songs can we can we try and work on stuff he'd already 
being involved in music similar to me i mean he he you know he's he's been in the industry he's had experiences um he knew exactly we you know we're just kind of writing from the same hymn sheet in that sense that we were like let's just record music we love <laughs> let's not worry about singles let's not worry I don't, I, I don't want to make music for radio or anything like that. I just want to make something. I just want to make art is what I thought. I just want to make, it doesn't matter if it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes. I just want to make something that resonates and feels good. And I really, you know, we've worked hard at, you know, I've just, well, at pinpointing, you know, does, does the music, is the music kind of there just, decorative or is it just um there because it can be or is it there because it's kind of really helping the emotion of the song you know kind of work and also lyrically I've just you know I've been like I've re-examined everything I write I'm like is this really how I feel is this really what I'm thinking or am I just writing this because it sounds good or because I know that I can get away with this I'm like no you need to be better Jules so I I've I've been really I've been trying my best to be attentive to how I feel. And um, yeah, and that, that's, what, that's how the project started really. And then it, it kind of got bigger than I ever, ever thought it would ever be, even at this level. Like, I guess I, you know, I, I did take it seriously to the extent that I, I didn't release anything until I was really ready you know like I said it took me about a year or well, took us a year I also worked on visuals I, I I wanted you know anything that I put out to really again reflect the music and so I I worked very closely with a visual artist and videographer or you know um and a photographer and she does a lot of kind of again analog photos she takes a lot of photos on film and develops everything herself in the bathroom and she films everything and you know I, I love her art and I just felt like it, it really you know she understood my music and so again we spent you know seven eight months working on videos before I released anything. And that's really hard to do because the, you know, when you make something, you kind of immediately want to shout about it. Um, so again, I just did things differently. I, I waited until I was ready and thought it was right. Yeah, and I say that it got, it, it kind of got bigger than, it got bigger than I ever dreamed of or would think because not because it's got big in any way because it's not big but it got played on Six Music uh, Lauren Laverne played it on her show and that was that's incredible like from nothing I don't have a press agent I don't have a radio plugger you know yeah you know, I sent it to Bandcamp and they don't even put EPs on the front page and they kind of made an exception they put my EP on the front page like three and a half songs and so and it and it got some great reviews I worked hard I sent it out to press people I did I did do all that myself it's not like it happened magically but I but again I didn't know anyone I just kind of like like oh god I don't even know blogs anymore I don't think that this is a whole new world how do I do this so so yeah it's it's got kind of bigger than I it was never it was just to make something I loved and a bit of art just to kind of try and you know, express something, but, um, now I'm, now I'm out. I, um, I guess, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't think that far ahead. So now I'm kind of thinking about the next, um, what does it do next? And inevitably you start kind of, you know, you have to stop 
kind of thinking about what people are going to think and going back to where it all came from in the first place, you know, you know, but I'm, I think I'm quite good at that. I, I kind of like, I am so over trying to make anything for radio or anything for press that I just now want to make something that I, I really love and think is cool. And, and I guess in some ways, you know, it has latched on, you know, people have responded like incredibly well to the EP, which, you know, says something. I, I don't know. It says like, I worked really hard at trying to be honest and maybe, maybe, maybe people heard it and, and maybe it resonated. I don't know. And I'm, I'm going to keep trying to do that. When you're allowed to play live again <laughs> are you going to be doing that yeah again i kind of really didn't want to rely on anybody and so i kind of i sent xox which is a track on the ep to a guy a musician that i i'm a big fan of called andrew hung who was in fuck buttons and he was playing a gig at the seabright arms and this was again before i'd released it i was like oh my god he's playing i'll just send the track and see if like maybe i can support him and um and his management got in touch with me and were like, yeah, we love the track. Can you support him? And I was like, oh yeah, of course, sure, no problem. And I was like, oh my God, I have no idea how I'm going to perform this. Like, so I spent like four solid weeks wiring up and trying to uh, sort out uh, my live setup. I got some help. Yeah, I managed to wire up my live setup. It, yeah, my point is I didn't want to kind of perform it all off a laptop. So I'm kind of playing loops and trying to, play it as live as I can um and it was going really well is my point I did the Seabright Arms it was great and then like again I sent this track to Sink Your Teeth and I was like can I support you and they were like yeah and so I played in Brighton um and and you know things were picking up I was getting great response I was kind of asked to play Ritual Union off the back of that and I did my first show in Oxford and then the the, the virus hit and it was like um so yeah I haven't done any live streams because I have had so much personal stuff going on that I just couldn't I couldn't deal with it all plus with the release of the EP um having said that I have finally accepted my first live stream um and I hope to be doing more and as soon as you know venues open I don't know what's going to happen um, I will be out there. I love playing live and I can't wait. I love communicating with people live. I love being in a room with people. I love traveling. I love exploring. So yeah, I am so ready to play live. And I just thought I would do the live stream thing finally because I just thought I have to get used to this new world. If it's going to be like this, I'm just going to have to accept it and, and go for it and stop being a wuss. So yeah, I'm on it. Well, that's almost it from this week's guest, Julia Sophie. 
but we do have time for one more song. I wanted to play this one in particular because it really appeals to me and my personal taste. It's from Julia's Time with Candy Says. The song is called Hummingbird. It has a really nice, surreal, dreamlike quality to it. Brilliantly weird lyrics. I asked Julia what the song is about because I was just curious. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. And that's cool as well. Nothing wrong with that. Anyway, she replied with a great answer. She said, I can't actually remember. Which is good because now it feels even more like a dream. That makes sense, right? Here's a song.
listening many thanks to julia sophie brilliant guest check out all the links to julia sophie's music new ep plus all the other stuff check it all out check all my things out as well frankburton.co.uk my books everything i am being the latest one but also history of sarcasm 100 are still available on amazon ragbag rambler video series is also on the website that website address once again frankburton.co.uk I thank you Podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.